Hello, I'm Panya In here in Studio 6D in New York City, and welcome to The Beat. Here's what's coming up on the program. We the people are, you know, all men are created equal. It's really white men created equal. That's pretty much what it's saying. President of the Caribbean Students Club at Fordham Lincoln Center, Jamina Molinas, joins me to discuss the Black Lives Matter movement in America and abroad, and the future of the movement and America. Then... And if we find that they're inadequate, then we'd like to push for some diversity trainings or greater emphasis on, on making sure that students of all races feel protected at Fordham. Fordham University's Lincoln Center's president of the United Student Government, Lorene Ruiz, comes on to talk about how USG will be tackling the problem of prejudice and discrimination at Fordham Lincoln Center and other colleges, as well as how politicians are reacting to the news of protests and calls to defund the police. Also, and I think theater, acting, it gives you such a unique opportunity in arts in general to empathize with people and have them empathize with you so that they feel like you feel like you're seeing each other and you feel like you're not alone in the world, you know? Actor Ryan Beloy returns to the beat to discuss how theater has been ravaged by the coronavirus and how the entertainment industry should tackle decades of racism and prejudice. Our conversation right here on the beat. Finally. Good evening, I'm Hugh Downs. And I'm Barbara Walters, and this is 2020. We pay tribute to a man that this program owes a lot to. Today, Friday, July 3rd, 2020. Hi, I'm Christine, and I'm a big fan of The Beat with Panya in. I get caught up on the 2020 elections, the news of the week, and the latest hot topics. Make sure you tune in every Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone and welcome to the program. We're airing the day before July 4th, the birthday of this country. And while many are exclaiming that tomorrow celebrates a day of independence, it was not a day of independence for the many enslaved black Americans. The past few weeks our screens have been covered with images of protest. The Black Lives Matter movement may have taken flight in America, but it is now ringing in other countries as well, particularly in Europe. Just this week, President Trump called the term Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate after New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio said he would paint the words on Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Tower. The tweet, of course, came with backlash and condemnation. We start our program with the president of the Caribbean Students Club, Jamina Molinas. Our conversation revolved around the movement here at home and abroad and what this revolution means on the eve of the 244th birthday of this country a country born out of revolution. We're talking about independence, right? This entire show is talking about this idea of revolution as well. Do you see any similarities between the BLM movement and the uh, revolutionary period in American history? Personally, for me, I would say no. But like, if you were to like use the terms of a definition in terms of like, when we were looking up the, the Merriam-Webster's dictionary and they're like, what is a revolution? They would say that these two movements are the same, but I would, I, I would completely say that they're completely different. Um, you know, said, like, where's that difference for you? I, for me, I would say that because the American Revolution was pretty much fought for, you know, the white man and it was pretty much like, for what their goals were in America and how they can control their wealth. And they didn't want like Great Britain to like control or have oversight of like what are their decisions that they do. Um, I even saw like a few weeks ago when the movement started to like get started, it was kind of like um, 
white Americans forget that the revolution started because they didn't want to like um, pay thing handling on tea. Um, but like all seriousness, but in all seriousness, I think it's just kind of like, it wasn't fought for like the equality of all people. And as you said, it wasn't fought for the equality of black indigenous or other people of color. It was solely fought for the benefit of white men. And so these benefits have been preserved into law with the constitution. So when it says like, we the people are, you know, all men are created equal, it's really white men created equal. That's pretty much what it's saying. So, so that's why I don't think they correlate in a sense. Well, if we're going to talk about sort of America and sort of like this entire like book of a novel, right? Mm -hmm. um, you have the American War for Independence as say the first chapter um, of that entire, I guess, saga length, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, yeah. If, if this moment, if this movement rather is another chapter, you know, in that book, right? Um, are there lessons to be learned in the past of what it means for independence? I would say, in terms of learning from the past, and I guess I guess applying it from the present. That's the question, right? Yes. Uh, I would say that in terms of length in the past, I think that we would need to realize that America was founded on, you know, like the labor of slavery. And so when you're looking at it in terms of the present of the Black Lives Matter movement, in terms of a chapter, I would say that it needs to really, it needs to recognize the history of Black people in this country. And so that's why in terms of like a traditional American independence sense, I would say like, you know, the reason these two movements don't correlate with each other. But if you're, um, but if it was, if we're looking at, if we're looking at American independence as this Black Lives, if we're looking at this BLM movement as a new American independence, then I would say that this new independence movement is inclusive of everybody so it's not in the past where it was not inclusive will there always be sort of that constant struggle I, it's been going on for two, almost over 250 years yeah that's that's a very hard question because like like when i think about like my mom who was born in like 1963 and she's now like 57 years old it's kind of like 57 years has passed by and there's still like these same kind of injustices so i i would love to see it happen in my lifetime and i hope it does happen in my lifetime but it's like so hard to tell but i think that with this current movement i think that change could happen in our lifetime so we may not see it you know in the next you know, year or so, but hopefully, like, you know, in hopefully in the next 40 years or 50 years that we, ha we do see some change and we do see a rewriting of American, um, of American, like, values and um, systems. And, you know, it's not just in the United States where we're seeing um, this movement, um, the BLM movement, but it's happening around the world right now, especially in um, Europe. And so I want to ask you, is this a, a global problem of systemic and systematic racism? And what can be drawn from it to address these specific issues? Yeah, I would say um, ra racism is pretty much a pandemic, just as much as COVID is. There's no, I don't think it's like a lot of people, I think a lot of people in 
America and even other countries think that racism is just an American thing because you know you more often hear of like the racist or the police brutality of here than you do in other countries but other countries are pretty much just as racist or even more so I think that what can what can be drawn in terms of like how to move forward into like in terms of a global issue is that we need to recognize like all these countries need to recognize the role that they played in racism in terms of like especially primarily like America and you know European countries because they kind of spread their ideals into all of their former imperial imperial empires and so that's why a lot of their current imperial empires have this kind of like carry these notions of racism because it's kind of like they carried it from colonialism so it's kind of like it's acknowledging it's acknowledging the role of racism that has played in countries since like their formation and it's acknowledging how to move forward and how to kind of um remove it from society and then how as a global community like we can come together and dismantle like the entire systemic oppression overall do you have hope i definitely do have hope i mean that's all i can do for the future um like when i look ahead i can i can't because if you continue to think negative it's just going to like be more stressful on you and bring you down um but I mean, I don't have like enough words to say how frustrating this whole thing is to grow up in a society where like I'm systemically oppressed because of the color of my skin, and furthermore, because I am a woman, and so it's kind of like being double oppressed as being a black woman. But I just, I just have hope that the future is going to change, and that you know, for the black community, it's kind of like we're we're like pretty much very resilient and we're very strong. We're very strong, and not in a negative way, but like in a beautiful way. And that I think as long as we continue to build this community within ourselves, I think we're going to continue to be such a, like, a strong force and that, you know, hopefully in the future, it's going to be a beautiful society. And so all I can do is how close. That's pretty much all I can do. Hi, I'm Christine, and I'm a big fan of The Beat with Panya in. I get caught up on the 2020 elections, the news of the week, and the latest hot topics. Make sure you tune in every Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Two Instagram pages have been used as a platform for students at Fordham University to express their thoughts on how the university handles race and the experiences of those students, alumni, and faculty. A note, this is not an isolated event. Many other universities have similar pages of similar stories. Earlier this week, I spoke to the president of Fordham Lincoln Center's United Student Government, Lorraine Ruiz, to talk about how her administration will be tackling the issues brought up in those posts. This is your first year as president of USG, and you're going, you're tackling many things right now. You're tackling a pandemic, and you're tackling um, a systematic, systemic epidemic within this country. I I just want to know, and going off the bat, you know, what policies, programs, or initiatives have USG taken to ensure that Black, Indigenous, and other uh, students of color will have a more equitable and just life on campus. And of course, this coming after two pages um, on Instagram have been created to expose Fordham and their bias. Let's talk at Let's Talk About It Fordham and at Black at Fordham. So please um, let us know what 
uh, Lincoln Center's USG is doing? So we're working on a lot of things right now, Panya. Uh, so I do first want to lead with the fact that I read every single one of those posts. Um, and so those posts are, are about everything from professors making inappropriate and racist remarks during lectures, um, from public safety bias allegations um, to sexual misconduct. I read everything. And so what we're trying to do right now is to tackle the root of all those problems. So um, one thing is I have scheduled a meeting for the board with Mr. John Carroll. He's the AVP of public safety at Fordham. And we want to ask him more about what kinds of trainings, if any, public safety staff um, are facing. And if we find that they're inadequate, then we'd like to push for some diversity trainings or greater emphasis um, on making sure that students of all races feel protected at Fordham. Um, we're also pursuing airmark divestment. Uh, that's a cause that a lot of students are very passionate about. There have been many petitions going around, lots of research being done. Um, and we've decided to move forward with that um, by contacting the Dine and Contract Liaison um, and to see what kinds of alternatives there are to Aramark. Um, we're reaching out to the Office of the Chief Diversity Officer to see what kinds of trainings faculty are getting um, and to see how complaints are being handled right now. Because right now, to be honest, I don't. We don't know a whole lot about what happens when complaints are handled because so it seems like a lot of students um, have voiced their concerns through a formal way, but haven't seen any outcome from that, and that's disappointing. Um, the last thing that we're doing is collaborating with Fordham's chapter of Student Veterans of America for Fordham to recognize um, Columbus Day. I'm sorry, Veterans Day in place of Columbus Day. Uh, we want to. We want to scrap that. Um, we, you know, Columbus. Christopher Columbus has a long history of colonialism and having his holiday as and like a paid time off doesn't reflect well and we'd like to um, instead honor our student veterans and have a day committed to service. I know that was a lot. There are a lot of things that we're working on right now, but I do want students to know that we have a pulse on all these issues and we're acting, we're acting on them. I want to um, quickly just touch on public safety for a little bit, because mm -hmm. as you know, um, the first day um, of, of school was the water main break at Lincoln Center, and public safety sent out notifications to students saying that all classes are canceled starting from, I believe, two o'clock um, or whatever. And so, of course, 50% of the population at Lincoln Center are commuter students, and when commuter students went to class not knowing that the notification has been sent that they were going into the building and public safety is stopping them and saying what are you doing here there is no way for commuter students to go back home if columbus circle and lincoln center lincoln center are flooded um both at the same time so what specific actions are or conversations are you having with public safety to address the need of commuter students who, like I said, are 50% of the population. And within that 50%, the majority are BIPOC students. Mm. So I think your question speaks to the intersectionality of, of race and also the student population of whether somebody is a resident or commuter. Um, and I wanna circle back to one of the things that I, one of the issues that I prioritized during my campaign, which was securing a space that is specifically for commuter students. Um, you know, recently in Fordham's list of 
um, action plan to combat racial injustice at Borden. They announced the creation of a multicultural center on both campuses. And I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, but it also points to the question of, you know, if we're creating a space um, and what we've been told in the past is that there is no space for commuters, then I think that means that it's possible that we can actually do this. And I think um, bringing up the idea of having a, a space for commuters is going to be extra important in these conversations with public safety in conjunction with um, encouraging um, greater racial justice training for faculty, faculty for <laughs> public safety staff members, um, as well as the possibility of hiring quotas. We also talked about the responses from politicians to the BLM movement as more states are about to cast their ballots in primary elections. The senior Democrat Elliot Engel, after many years of serving, has been ousted by um, former middle school principal Jamal Bowman um, and uh, Representative, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won her re-election in New York's 14th congressional district. And there's sort of a toss-up right now in New York's 12th congressional district um, as well. So do you think that this moment and movement, rather, is an inflection point for the progressive movement? Oh, oh 100%. Um, you know, when everybody saw AOC's campaign and she, and she won, um, people called it a fluke. But now we're seeing like waves of progressive support, not just in New York, but in places like Kentucky, hopefully in places like New Jersey. Um, and I think that's that's really exciting. Um, you know, even if a progressive candidate doesn't win, um, there are many that are still coming very close. You know, Charles Booker in Kentucky was super close to beating Amy McGrath. Um, right now in New York, um, Carolyn Maloney is head to head with Suraj Patel. So um, I think. AOC was the vanguard of a progressive movement, and it's super exciting to to see people like that. You know, I'm volunteering for, I'm actually volunteering for a progressive campaign right now. Um, Zena Stavakis is running in New Jersey's District 9 um, against um, an establishment Democrat, if you can call him that. Um, and so to see all these progressive grassroots campaigns pop up and to see the support of young people. Like, I mean, our generation, like they're such fighters, right? This really is not just a moment. It is a movement and it's so inspiring. And so even if they don't win, we are going to keep fighting and we're going to, I, I have no doubt that we're going to see more progressive support in years to come. If America is now in the hospital, ravaged by the coronavirus and structural systematic systemic racism, what should be beside its bedside and what is that treatment? So I, I think beside its bedside are the people that we should be listening to. I think we should be listening to our Black peers. We should be listening to health officials. We should be wearing masks. And the treatment is having an open heart and an open mind and a willingness to listen. I think um, nowadays, like people, everyone has an opinion on what's going on. Um, and I think we'd all be a lot happier and we'd all get along a lot better if we just had a little bit of empathy and understanding for people who might not be in our situation. Hi, I'm Christine and I'm a big fan of The Beat with Panya in. I get caught up on the 2020 elections, the news of the week, and the latest hot topics. Make sure you tune in every Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The hit musical Hamilton is now streaming on Disney Plus today. Hamilton, a musical about revolution and young people fighting for change. Sounds familiar, right? Theater has always been seen as an outlet for social and political change, and actor Ryan Beloyed joins me again to discuss that. The cast of Hamilton um, spoke to the now Vice President Mike Pence um, in theater. Uh, many people were saying that it was inappropriate to do at, at that point. Other people are saying that the theater has always been this source of um, energy to talk about these things, to express these things. Does that connect back with your explanation of empathy or is it just something totally different? I, I think uh, that in, in the moment, the cast obviously realized that they had a platform, you know, they have a, a form of, of speech and also uh, let's not forget what the actual play itself is, right? Hamilton is a political play itself and is a, a, a statement, but it's also historical, right? So what I think they were in a very unique position and had a lot of leverage because they're saying, like, this, this is a play that's, that's based on history and based on our nation's history. And we, we can't deny that. We can't deny the, the other aspects of our nation's history. So we have the beautiful, you know, the, the revolution, all of this amazing stuff that we're, we're turning away from tyranny. Okay, you're you're fighting or fighting against tyranny. What are we doing nowadays? You know, um, what are what's a, the civil rights movement, right? What is Black Lives Matter? What is everything? It's fighting against tyranny, and so it's all connected and it's all the same thing in, in a certain way. So the the history that we're talking about, they're fighting against a certain tyranny, and then they had you know they had a tyranny that, that they weren't recognizing, and it's like the more that we develop, the the more mature we become as as a human race right? We, we start to recognize the tyranny that, that, that came before us and the tyranny that empowered certain groups um, without even necessarily realizing it or by ignoring it. So recently there's been uh, a video resurfacing uh, right now of Oscar winning actress Viola Davis talking yeah. about the unequal pay in Hollywood, even when she's being compared to Meryl Streep, who is um, a white woman, also an amazing actress as well. Shouldn't the industry look at itself in the mirror as it also is an outlet for such empathy and for such change? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, she, I, I, I watched that video and um, I shared it, but the um, part where she's talking about, oh, I, I won an Oscar, you know? I mean, Viola Davis should, should have won many more Oscars, been nominated for many more Oscars than she has been. So she's just showing, you know, she's the greatest, the greatest, but she's not white. And that's like some, somehow makes your level of possible achievement lower. And um, I mean, I, I just think that it's, it's clear that, yeah, she, she's, she's right. She's completely comparable. I mean, even the comparable thing, because people want to use Meryl Streep as like, she's the pillar right and i think viola davis is is comparable in that she is incomparable you know just like meryl streep she is the pinnacle of of amazing acting of of she's at the top of her craft but um obviously it doesn't matter to to hollywood and it doesn't matter to to america as a whole because we're so used to our our past and, and we're also so used to the way that Hollywood is set up, what movies are being produced, who's writing, who's directing. It's all, it's white, white, white. 
right? And um, I think this is why, I mean, there's not going to be real, real change until we, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think the real change is now beginning, you know, and, and we felt like, oh yeah, Oscars are, are, are way too white. I mean, it, it's clear. Um, but um, it comes with the base part and uh, the, the fundamental nature of what is being produced, who's writing, who's directing, and who are we giving the opportunities to? Who are kids able to look up to and say, ah, I want to be like that? Who are the, who's being educated and who's being steered more in the, the path of writer, director, and I mean, actor, performer in general, arts, who's given the, um, the resources to become a great artist. Um, and, and that's why we're, we're having to change from the ground up so that, so that we don't have the inequality of, of, uh, at the top, right? So that we don't have the inequality at, at, the, at the base level either. It's, it's completely ingrained. And so we're gonna see the people that are at the top are not proportionally uh, paid or they're paid in proportion to the amount of, of privilege that they have. Uh, and, and that's something that, that has to go, you know, that's, that's something that has to be, has to be uprooted. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's so uh, heartbreaking. If you were to subject America to a play and 2020 is the new act of that play, what is the first line? What is the first line? Um, oh my goodness gracious. I don't know. Something, <laughs> I, I, I think it would be something like, uh, I mean, can I set the scene more? Sure. I mean, I, I think it's sort of, uh, I don't know. I'm, I, now I'm having this vision of a, of a sort of like, like art installation or something. It's something like a, a riot shield, you know, and um, the, <laughs> the white police officer seeing his own reflection in the riot shield. Um, I, th I think in a way that's, I don't know what the line would be, but um, I mean, I, I think that's what we all have to do. Um, white people in power uh, have to look at their own reflection and um, and I guess in a riot shield, you could see your own reflection and also see out. So look at your own reflection and see the, the people out there that are, that, are, that are petitioning against you and, and against the, the oppression and the prejudice um, and saying, you know what, it, it's time for change. Um, and uh, yeah, we just, we have to recognize our own position of privilege and and sacrifice certain parts of ourselves, certain commodities that we have for the betterment of the human race. And uh, ultimately, it'll make us feel a lot better for it. Hi, I'm Christine, and I'm a big fan of The Beat with Panya In. I get caught up on the 2020 elections, the news of the week, and the latest hot topics. Make sure you tune in every Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back. Before we end, we want to pay tribute to a broadcast legend who has inspired many people, including myself, in this industry. Good evening, I'm Hugh Downs. And I'm Barbara Walters, and this is 2020. And that's how Hugh Downs started every episode of ABC's 2020 with Barbara Walters. Before starting at the famous news magazine, Hugh's career spanned from being the announcer of Jack Parr's Tonight Show to the host of the game show Concentration, then to the host of the Today Show, where he would start one of the longest-running TV partnerships with Barbara Walters. Later in 1978, Downs began hosting ABC's 2020, and six years later, he'd be reunited with his colleague Barbara Walters. 
With a career spanning over 10,000 hours on television, Hughes' calm and concise demeanor made him one of the most trusted people on television. When he retired, his co-host, Barbara Walters, asked him how he would want to be remembered. Hugh responded with, I hope I'd be remembered as a guy who tried to do some good and who was, most importantly, honest. I can't see any greatness that I would be remembered for, but if people think kindly of me, I'll be happy with that, end quote. Hugh died at his home in Scottsdale, Arizona on Wednesday, according to his family, and he will be missed. Without Hugh or Barbara, frankly, I would never have started a show like this. And that's been our program for today. You can listen to the full interview separately on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Anchor FM as extras to today's program. And thank you for being with us for our first season. And season two begins next week. I'm Panya in here in New York. And for Hugh Downs, I'm going to say his famous line, we're in touch, so you be in touch. Have a good day. <laughs>